0: It's really good to be back um, and welcome you back from your uh, summer travels wherever you might be. And I'm excited to uh, jump into God's word uh, with you today. Last week we started this sermon series called Christianity Meets Pop Culture. And Paul talked a little bit about art and how art intersects uh, with our life. And we've been exploring where, and where our faith and where God himself intersects with some of the different aspects of our lives that we would consider maybe mainstream or secular or at least outside the box of who God is. And so we have this box. Ashley, go ahead and go to the next slide. We have this box that sometimes I think we like to put ourselves in. We like to put everything that we do in our lives in and we like to put God inside that box. And we've kind of had that theme running here at City Branch these last few weeks about about being people who live outside the box, about being a church outside the box. And serving a God, who definitely does not fit inside our little labels that we like to put on him. So several weeks ago, we talked about being a church outside these walls. The church is ultimately not a building. That if a church can meet in Charles C. McGuire Gymnasium, well, then a church can meet anywhere. And then we heard, excuse me, we heard a couple weeks ago, uh, as Pastor Mike talked about, that the church is not just a suburban church, and the church is not just a city church. Uh, We are called to reach outside of our comfort zones, outside of our bubbles, and be the church even when it's inconvenient and even when it's uncomfortable. And then last week, as Paul talked about, we learned about a God that necessarily doesn't color inside the lines that we want him to. That a God that, that created a world full of wildness and beauty and mystery and danger and you start to wonder what kind of a god do we have well a god that then creates us in his image to be creative to be not just as artists but as his followers to be followers outside the box we have a god that refuses to be labeled we have a god that is in everything who is outside the box in fact David, the psalmist, writes in our scripture today, very early on. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and keep those open. We're going to be uh, jumping around to a few different places uh, today. But right away, David says this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. Everywhere, God is there. David says, there's not a speck. There is not a speck of this universe that you haven't created, God. There's not a millimeter of this world that you don't hold in the palm of your hand. And there is not a moment in my life when you don't know exactly what is going on. God says, I'm already there. All those places that you don't think I am, I'm already there. And I want to ask you this morning, I wonder, do you live a divided life? Do you live a life where you put God and, and everything that he is, and you kind of say, God, these are the areas of my life that I want to let you in, and I'm just going to put you in a box, and I'm going to put you on the shelf over here. And then on the certain days when I need you, God, I'll come and get you, and I hope you have a good shelf life, God, because, you know, once in a while, you'll stay there for a while. But then there's these other areas of my life, God, where I don't really need you, or I don't really think that you have anything to say about that. Do you live a divided life or do you let God permeate every aspect of your home and of your world? Do you still think that you can fit the God of the universe inside this box and these parameters that you've created? I love what the Apostle Paul says. He speaks right into the heart of this matter. In Acts chapter 17, Paul says this. He is not far from each of us. In fact, for in him we live and move and have our being everything we live and move and have our being everything that we do is by the grace of god and so i wonder what would it look like for you to live an expansive life if i asked you to describe your life today would you say that it's expansive would you say that it's free would you say that it's open or is it confined is it segmented segmented kind of like a waffle Is your life like a waffle where you put it into different segments or is your life like chocolate milk where it's just mixed all together and God's all up in everything? Do you have a divided life or do you have an undivided life? And Paul actually speaks to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 later on. What would it look like to live an expansive life? And Paul says this, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So Paul's saying the proper response to a God that created everything and a God that is in everything, he created everything for his glory. The proper response to that is to live with the expectation and the intentionality to give God glory in every single thing that you do. Have you ever, have you ever sat at work? Have you ever, have you ever done something or, or a job and you just feel like this has nothing to do with my faith whatsoever? Have <laughs> You ever been there? Some of you, maybe that's your experience every single day. Oh, This is so boring. This is is totally just a secular thing. This is just what I do to pay the bills. Then I'll go on Sunday. That's kind of God day, right? Or I'll go have my God time. Or I'll go have my prayer life. You don't have a prayer life. You have a life. Let it be a prayer. Do You see God in everything. In fact, Jesus says this. When asked, what's the most important thing that we could do in Mark chapter 12? What's the greatest commandment? What's the main thing in life? Jesus says this. The most important one answer, Jesus, is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. There's nothing halfway. There's, there's nothing divided. Jesus says, it's kind of black and white here, folks. Love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Are you all in with God today? Or there's still those parts of your life where you just kind of hold back a little bit. Jesus says, I want to give you that kind of life. I want to give you that kind of heart. I want to give you that freedom. But you've got to let go and you've got to let me into those places of your heart that you've just kind of kept off limits. What are those areas that you just kind of keep God in the box? What are the areas over here for you? Is it your marriage? Is it your job? Is it your finances? Is it your past mistakes? Oh, no, God, no, let's not go there. That's just a little bit too sensitive. Not my past, no, really? Or I wonder, how about your body? How about your physical health? Did you notice, and maybe you've never seen this before, and I was looking, just trying to look at this passage, uh, the greatest commandment that Jesus gives again this week, and, and did you notice there is an absolute physical dimension to our being obedient to what Jesus says. With all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, there is an absolute physical dimension to following God. And so you're saying, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. So, so following Jesus is not just about uh, saying my prayers and it's not about just kind of going to worship every once in a while and kind of putting in my time and, and it's not just trying not to swear so much, right? That's what Christian... You mean it's not, it's not what it's all about. My, my body, my physical body, my health right here today is a God thing? That's an area that God wants to come into? Absolutely. And here's why. Turn back with me if, if if you're there to our scripture for today, Psalm 139, and look about halfway through to verse 13. Here's why your body is a God thing. For you created my inmost being, David says of God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. In other words, explanation point. Absolutely. No doubt about it. David is reflecting on his own physical body that he's been given. And he's saying, God, not only did you create me, but you created me fearfully and wonderfully. Did you hear that? Right now, here today, your body, whether you like it or not, wonderful. Wonderful. And I'm guessing... I understand that sometimes when you wake up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror, the first thing growing through your head is probably not wonderful, right? It's probably more like, right? Or who is that person staring at me in the mirror? How did I end up this way? Right. But before you had a chance to form an opinion about yourself, God says, wonderful. And you ask God some days, could you, could you really love this? could you really love this and God says oh yeah absolutely in fact i love i love it enough to die for it but i love it enough to see it be used to its fullest potential god says created planned not an accident intimate unique complex my workmanship and so ultimately, the opinions that we have about ourselves, about our image, about, about each other, when we look at other people on the outside, all of those opinions come crashing down in, uh, in, in, in the midst of the loud and thundering and yet loving voice from heaven that says this about you today. You are mine. You are mine. And that is the deepest and truest about you today and that's where your value comes from that's why your physical body matters that's why our health matters because our bodies are God's handiwork and before you had the chance to form an opinion about whether your body and how you look and your image and how you feel about yourself before you had a chance to form an opinion about that and whether it measures up to those around you or even how you should treat your body God says it's a gift. So please, please don't waste it. Take care of it instead and use it for my glory. Now, please don't get me wrong. We could go off on this whole tangent and I could get up here and I could be this powerful motivational speaker and I could have you get all up and, and flex and we could say, come on, be a bodybuilder for God's glory, right? Maybe you've been to a seminar like that before and you're just kind of like, whoa, maybe this isn't my kind of seminar. That's not where we're going here. This is not about being a bodybuilder. In fact, it's not about being a marathon runner. In fact, I know some of you are and you intimidate me, but it's also not looking like you just stepped out of a magazine either. Because fitness and sports and even being a health nut, when taken to the extreme, just like anything else in our lives, we can make it an idol, right? So we take our health and we take our physical body and our image and how we look and being physical fit, and we kind of put that up here on a pedestal, and then God's kind of down here. And we elevate that above our worship of God, just as anything else we can do. But in the end... And this might be one of the most important things you hear all day. In the end, being healthy isn't about image. It's about worship. Being healthy isn't about image. It's about worship. And here's why. Turn with me, if you could, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. Kind of on a Paul kick here today. He's got a lot of good stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse... 19 so sometimes we elevate our bodies and our health to a higher pedestal than god and pretty soon the means to the end of glorifying god with our bodies becomes the end itself and so let's look at this together starting in verse 19 do you not know that your body is a temple of the holy spirit who is in you whom you have received from god Listen to this. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. It was never ours to begin with. It was never ours to begin with. It's a gift. So, not only are we called to care for God's bodies because they're His creations, but because inside of us, we are a temple. We house God's spirit, we are living temples. And so in the Old Testament, the the temple that people went to and worshipped in, not everybody was able to go there. And in fact, there was a deeper place inside the temple that was called the Holy of Holies. And only special people could go there. Priests, essentially, could go there because God's presence was believed to be there in a powerful way. The temple was a special place where God's presence was. And in light of that, this is a revolutionary statement by Paul. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is essentially saying, your heart, the deepest part of who you are, is more beautiful than any man-made temple could ever be. You think about the most beautiful church you've ever been in, church building. Think, Think about the most beautiful cathedral that you've ever been in. God says, your heart is more beautiful than any temple or cathedral or man-made creation. And it contains the same spirit of God that is accessible any place, any time. So let your heart, just like the temple was in the Old Testament, let your heart now be a place of worship. And so let me ask you this. If you knew that there was a treasure inside of your heart, think of you are like a pirate, right? And you're searching for treasure. And inside your heart is where that treasure is the treasure of God, the treasure of God's spirit. If you knew that your heart contained a treasure of immeasurable measurable value, would not keeping your heart strong and healthy become utterly important? Would you not guard your heart with everything that you have? Flip over with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, kind of right in the middle of your Bible, right next to Psalms. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. King Solomon, one of the wisest people that ever lived, had something to say about our hearts. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And I think we actually, no, we do not have this up there. So uh, let's, uh, let's look at this. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. If you've got it, say, I got it. All right. King Solomon says this. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Did you hear that? Above all else. Not like do all those other good Christian things and say really really busy for God and serve and be in lots of Bible studies and go to worship every week and do all that and then oh if you have time maybe watch over your heart a little bit. Right? Did you see what he says? Above all else. Really? That important. Because I'm afraid, if if, if you're like me, most of us kind of keep tabs on our heart probably less than we look under the hood and check the oil of our car. So I wonder, if you look under the hood of your own heart today, what's it like? What kind of condition is it in? Does it need an oil change? (laughs) Does it need a health check? Because I'm afraid to say that A lot of us have just kind of thrown our heart by the wayside or maybe something's hurt us or something's wounded us in the past. And when we hear a verse like this that says, guard your heart, we say, yeah, that's right. I'm going to put up walls around my heart so I can never be hurt again. And I'm never going to open myself up to an intimate relationship again. I'm never going to open myself up to receiving love again because the last time I did that, I got burned. I got hurt. That is not what King Solomon is saying. Look at the second half of the verse. Guards your heart. Why? Because it is the wellspring of life. And when I think about a wellspring, for some reason, what always comes to mind is that those big giant fountains, they're like outside of a bank. You know what I'm talking about? And they have a the big fountain or maybe a golf course, you know, and there's a big fountain in the middle of the golf course. And it just keeps going and going and going because it's in the middle of a reservoir. It's in the middle of a big lake or a big pond that keeps replenishing it. Our hearts were not meant to be canals where God's love just kind of shoots through and we're just kind of empty, shallow people. Our hearts were meant to be reservoirs where we have the abundance of God in us and we give out of the abundance instead of giving out of desperation. Is your heart a wellspring of life? Is it overflowing? Pay attention to the health of your heart. God says, that's what I created you for. So how is your heart? How's your heart? Both, both physically, absolutely, how's your heart? But also deeper than that, what is your heart beating for these days? What is it beating for? Is it beating for the approval of others? Is it beating for that next promotion? Is it beating for the weekend? God, just get me through the week so I can get to the weekend. That's where my joy is found. What's your heart beating for? Is it just beating for the next emotional high that you can muster up? Or does your heart beat for the things that God's heart beats for? For things that are eternal. And so I want to take the rest of our time today, if we really believe that the heart is central, if the heart is absolutely important, maybe you've read the Bible thousands of times and somehow you've missed this, but I want to challenge you this week. Go to to one of the websites, go to BibleGateway.com, go to a Bible Concordance and look up heart in the Bible. I guarantee that you will see heart more times than money, more times than worship, more times than obedience. Heart is at the center of Jesus' message in Scripture. How do we keep a healthy heart? If Proverbs says, guard your heart above everything else, how do we protect our heart? How do we guard it? And so today I want to focus on three things, and each one of these things you can see from a physical point of view, and then you can see from a spiritual point of view of how is your heart really doing internally. And so number one, we're going to go through three of these. What are three ways that we can keep our heart healthy? Number one, you can probably guess it, exercise. Oh, and I just cringe when I say that, but we have to talk about it. Let's talk about exercise. I'm not a trainer. Some of you are trainers, and some of you could blow me away in every single physical category known to humankind. Just get it out on the table. I am not speaking from any sort of pedestal whatsoever. In fact, I should preach from my knees on this one. Exercise, people. Exercise your heart. But I can tell you, this is one of those subjects... Both physically and both when we talk about how's your heart spiritually, we just kind of cringe at. And I think that we hear that command. We hear that command, exercise. And something in us cringes. And even though we know what we should do, right, we don't do it. Even though that we know it'll make us stronger and healthier and probably happier and have a richer life, we don't do it. I think that we could all, if we went around the room today and say, how many people have tried 10 exercise routines and failed? How many people have tried 15 exercise (laughs) routines and failed, right? How many of us have got on this kick, whether it's like a New Year's resolution or something, like, I'm going to change. I'm going to be different. And then a couple weeks later, maybe not so much, right? Life gets in the way. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, says the same thing we talk about physically, that same thing can happen to us spiritually, Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. He's talking to the church in Galatia. He says, you were running a good race. And he's not talking physically. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? So you get the picture. Paul saying to the church in Galatia, you were following God. You were being obedient to God. You were guarding your heart. And you were running along. And all of a sudden... Somebody cut in on you, maybe kind of gave you a little bit of elbow, and they started running, and you kind of veered off in some other direction. Paul's saying, where are you going, you foolish Galatians, who cut in on you and took your focus away from following Christ? And so I want to just challenge us a bit today. What would it look like if we lived as though God's promises were true? What if we trusted that when it comes to guarding our physical heart, as well as our spiritual heart, that God has our very, very best in mind? What if obedience was about joy instead of rules? I think it's just weird how sometimes, I was thinking about this recently, how sometimes as Christians we we tweak everything, and somehow there's this idea that instead of actually following Jesus, instead of actually being obedient... And doing what he says, we often say, You ever heard anybody say, Well, I, I follow Jesus in my heart? Uh, it's more of a personal thing. It's it's kind of a private thing to me. I I follow Jesus in my heart. And and but the problem is that usually in those situations there's no transformation taking place, there's no change taking place, and and there's no application, there's no life change going on. Remember when you were a kid and and you played Foul the Leader? Remember playing follow the leader, right? So, you know, the the leader says, hop, what do you do? Hop, the leader says, flap your wings, what do you do? Flap your wings, right? Whatever the leader does, you do. You don't even think about it. You don't question it. If it's true, if the leader says to do it, and if you trust that leader, you do it. Well, somehow follow the Jesus doesn't always work like that. The doctor says, same thing with physically. The doctor says, you need exercise, do we do it? No. Scripture says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. And so we sit and we go, hmm, good thoughts, God. Really good ideas. Hmm, yeah. Wow, that's, that's deep. Wow, that's good stuff. Really, really good. Sometimes I think we look at God's word and what it tells us should be priorities in our life and we just step back and say, you know what? I'm, I think I'm just going to flap my wings in my heart just going to do that in my heart. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work for exercise either. Your trainer, you know, you you have a physical trainer and he asks, well, were you, where, where, where were you this morning? You say, Oh, Oh, got this new thing. I was at home. I was doing the treadmill in my heart. It was just a really big workout. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing it in my heart. It doesn't exactly work that way physically. So why should it work that way spiritually? Okay. Simon says, you have to know Simon says, right? Everybody knows Simon says. Okay. So Simon says, tap your head. What do you do? Tap your head. Okay. Simon says, um, Simon says, hop up and down. You hop up and down, right? Whatever Simon says to do, you do it. But somehow Jesus says it doesn't quite work that way, especially in those things. I think that are out of our comfort zone. Jesus, I'll do whatever you say up until this point. But this is where I start to draw my barriers. And it's the same thing physically. I'll go there as long as it's not hard. I'll go there as long as it's not inconvenient. But sometimes we look at what Jesus says in the Bible and we say, I memorized it. Isn't that good? I memorized it. I'm I'm actually, I got a group of people together and we did a Bible study about it. In fact, I know it in the Greek. Yeah. Get a lot of, great, that's awesome. But think about it. Think about this scenario. Okay, I'm trying to just simplify it here parents think about this scenario okay you tell your son or daughter i think that you should go clean your room in fact i would like you to go clean your room okay so off they scurry up the stairs and then uh they come back an hour later and they're all excited and they're like hey mom i memorized what you said great did you do it no, but guess what? I got, I got some of my friends together. I called all my friends over to our house. And we actually got together and we, we did a little Bible study on what it would look like if, if, if we uh, cleaned my room. We did that together. Isn't that great? In fact, I can say clean my room in Greek. Yeah, it's really great. It doesn't exactly work that way, does it? So why would it work that way with a good and perfect father who loves you enough to care? Who loves you enough to point you in the right direction. Take God up on his word. Take care of your body and your soul because they both need exercise. So first of all, exercise. Uh, second of all, um, what does it look like to have spiritual exercise? Maybe we're not running around, but what does that look like? Is, is time with God in scripture and time with God in prayer, is it something you kind of sit back and go, hmm, yeah, that's good. That's a good thing to do as a Christian. I believe it. Absolutely, with all my heart. Yep, it's a good thing. Or is it something that your heart can't live without? Some of you might be familiar with the the men's movement kind of in the 1990s called Promise Keepers. I remember going to one of those rallies, and one of the speakers, it just grabbed me. One of the speakers challenged us to be men of the word and to spend time with God in scripture every single day, not as a duty but because it's going to change your life. And, and I have been absolutely far from perfect, for sure. But with all these new things that have been competing for my time and attention in the last several years of my life, one thing hasn't changed. I love that book. That book that you're holding in front of you today, I love it. Not because I've mastered it, far, far, far from that. But I love it because I've seen it change my life and I've seen it change the lives of, of people around me, not because we sat around and talked about it, but more so because we do it. Because as a church, we take God up on his word. So exercise. What does that look like for you physically and spiritually? Secondly, we're called to have a healthy heart by resting. And some of you are like, yes, finally, when I can do, right? Sleep, rest, sounds pretty good after a bunch of exercise. So at this point in your life, you've probably discovered that sweet spot for how many hours of sleep that you need a night, right? Some of you are like, five, I'm good to go. Some of you are like, ten would be really, really nice. And I haven't got that for... 37 years, but that would be really, really nice. But you know how many hours of sleep that you need a night. Doctors say get eight hours of sleep a night when we're sick, when we're tired. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure out the best thing for you is rest. You were created to have rhythm in your life, you were created to have a healthy balance of work and play and rest. And for some of you, the most spiritual thing that you could do this afternoon is take a nap. And I'm not joking. Some of you have worn your bodies down so much that it is no longer a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is kind of a collapsed, flapping tent of the Holy Spirit. What is the most spiritual thing that you could do? Maybe take care of the body that God's given you. The spiritual discipline that needs the most attention in your life right now is slowing down and resting and giving your body a chance to get filled up. We're wired for rest because we're created in the image of a God who rested on the seventh day, who created the world and rested on the seventh day. And then in Exodus in the Ten Commandments, he says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And I'm not saying your Sabbath has to be Sundays, but what day do you give to God? What day do you say, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to rest in who God says I am. And if we're truly honest with ourselves, it's back to the whole cleaning your room thing, right? Right? Yes, I know I should have a Sabbath. It's in the Ten Commandments, right? But we say all those other Ten Commandments, those are the real important ones, right? Like, don't kill anybody. That probably wouldn't be good. Don't lie. Honor your father and mother. Don't swear, right? Those are sins. Those are bad things. But the Sabbath, eh, you know, that's kind of God, you know, give and take a little bit. That's more of a, the suggestion that's kind of thrown in with the rest of them, right? If you have time to rest, it's a commandment. It's God's heart, not as a duty because it's a gift to you. And if you look at Jesus' life, how he models this over and over and over again in the scriptures, it says Jesus went away to a quiet place, away from the crowds, away from 15-hour work days, and rested. Jesus models that for us. Today may be the biggest obstacle for you That's getting in the way of you experiencing God in a deeper way. Is the pace at which you live your life. You're so busy that you've forgotten how to simply be. And that before you became so important and irreplaceable to your job. God said of you, wonderful. Just as you are today. Before you accomplished anything for him. Wonderful. Not what you do, who you are. But I know for so many of us, it's not even a question of finding rest from our work and the demands of life. It's, we've also mistaken Christian busyness for godliness. We've come to think, if I only do more for God, that means I must be growing, right? And there's absolutely nothing wrong with being active as followers of Christ and being involved. And in fact, we want you to be, but never at the expense of your health, spiritually or physically. And so how is your heart these days? If we opened the hood of your heart, would it be cluttered? Would it be frantic, jam-packed, or resting? How do we guard our hearts? First of all, exercise. Secondly, rest. And the third one is this. Find a running partner. There's many more we could talk about, but find a running partner. After all we've talked about, everything that God calls us to be, we're supposed to be disciplined, we're supposed to be focused in our time, we're supposed to guard our heart. Some of you might say, I can do it! Under my own willpower, I will live a spiritually and physically physically fit life. I will get up every single day at 6 o'clock and I will go to the gym and then I'll read my Bible for three hours and then I'll go to another four-hour Bible study and then I'll put in 15 hours of work and I'll come home and I'll meditate and pray on my knees for another four hours. And somehow get eight hours of sleep. All on my own. Yeah, right. You were never created to do it on your own. Find a running partner. If there's anything I've learned from talking to some of the physical trainers and those sorts of gurus in my life, one of the top things that gets in the way of people staying physically fit is that they try to do it alone. And so why would it be any different for us spiritually? So a couple uh, years ago, I was living with a couple guys that happened to be runners—not just runners, but marathon runners—and me. It would make you laugh if you understood it. Two marathon runners and me. In fact, both of them uh, were people that just were a little bit too insane about running. And so here I am. One day I get back from a half an hour jog. I'm feeling pretty good about myself, just kind of going around the neighborhood. I'm all sweaty and worn out, and i uh, some like he come comes out I'm like, hey you going for a run yeah I'm just like yeah I just got done with mine (sighs) yeah just went out a little bit earlier what are you doing How how many miles are you doing today twelve and a half Yeah, I just went around the block a few times, pretty worn out, yeah, Uh, pretty defeated, you know, just my entire self-esteem just deflates right in front of my eyes, and so one day he actually invites me to go with him, and I'm not quite sure why I agreed, but I went, and and I'm I'm thinking I made it around the block with him, and then maybe as we're going, like the first time, I, I just felt like barfing and throwing in the towel, and he says, no, John, come on, you can do this, and we're running right beside each other. And then the next, I don't know, maybe we go another, I don't know, 20 minutes, and I'm like, that's it, I'm done. No, seriously, I've never ran this much in my life, I can't do this. And he looks at me and goes, no, you have it in you, we're doing this together. Okay, I go another 15 minutes, another 10 minutes, I'm like, seriously, I am going to collapse. And he looks me in the eyes and he says, you made it this far, I'm not letting you quit. And at the end of that day, I think I had ran farther and faster than I ever had in my entire life. Why? Because I had running partner and if it's that important for a jog around the neighborhood how much more important is it for the race that we're called to run the apostle paul says run the race in such a way as to get the prize who is your running partner today i'm not talking about physical anymore who runs with you in this life ecclesiastes says this two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. Let's read that last part together. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. If you fell today, who would pick you up? Who, who knows you enough? And it's really easy for us, even as Christians, as, as members of a church, and we still hide behind a smile, and we hide behind going through the motions of our faith, and inside, we're falling apart. In other words, who knows you? Who's your running partner? Who can you truly be real with? Who knows the things that you love? Who knows the deepest parts of you? Who knows the real issues that you're facing today, beyond your standard prayer requests? Okay, we got that. Who knows the real you? I believe each of us are called to have a few trusted friends in our life that, you can, that can call you out, that have permission to call you out when you're not being the person that God created you to be and can also encourage you in those difficult times. Maybe the depth of relationships that you crave so much and you don't have those is because you've never really become that kind of vulnerable person yourself. How do you run the race of life? Exercise, rest, and with a running partner. And so as we close today, no matter what your state of your heart is, there's one thing that we all have in common. We need a running partner. But we also need the grace of a savior that we could do none of this without. We have a God that runs beside us. No matter how hard we try, sometimes we just fall down. No matter how hard we try to change, we still fall short. Sometimes as we're running the race of life, we just need to be carried. Several years ago, Dick Hoyt is the proud father of his son, Rick, who happens to be his severely handicapped son. And Dick was inspired to use the physical gifts that God has given him to show the depth of his love for his son that can't run the race anymore. And so many years later, they compete in races across the country. But their first race was the grueling test of the Hawaii Ironman Triathlon as running partners. Who's your running partner in life? Let's take a look. And an an earthly father... (laughs) would do that for his earthly son. Can you imagine the love that your heavenly father has for you today? And in our weakness, he is strong. Today, maybe it's time to let that God out of the box and be who he is. A father that cares so deeply about the life that he's given you that he wants to live it with you we're the one being pulled we're the one being pushed we're the one being carried along and whether you're feeling really strong and confident today or you're feeling kind of beat up and helpless every single one of us today is offered the love and and the grace of a Father who will never leave us and never let us down. Amen? Let's stand together.